Hey, welcome to another morning here at Sedaris. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Go ahead and say, Gregor, I see your haircut. That looks really good, my man. Yeah. Woo. All right, Gregor in the house. Good to see everyone. For those of you guys watching at home, welcome. Uh, it's always a good day when you get to worship the Lord. And, and uh, last time we were in the parking lot, it was like 90 degrees. This is much more comfortable. Um, so thanks for making it back out again. You're welcome for those tans that we gave you last time we were here. And uh, we got another Sunday. Son, you know, uh, we don't know exactly what September will look like. But I'm wearing my white today, as you can tell, because everyone knows you don't wear white after Labor Day, and this is our last Sunday before Labor Day, so I had to wear my white. And um, in September, if it's nice, we'll probably keep trying to do every other week an outdoor service if that works. So um, continue to track with us, get on our email list so you can kind of keep up to date because we're kind of we're free-flowing here, <laughs> trying to figure out how do, we, how we navigate a global pandemic. Turns out we've never done that before, and so thanks for your patience in all of it. Um, let me just add my thank you to Miss Sydney. Uh, it's a sad day, but it's a happy day, and um, we know that this is just uh, a new chapter in, in our story and lives together, and as Ryan said, you'll be coming back and guest singing with us, hopefully quite frequently, and uh, we'll continue to be on mission in the greater Pacific Northwest together. Um, but thank you. I still remember when Claire uh, brought you to Sedaris the first time, and she came, and she said to me, Dave, she's very bold if you don't know Claire Campbell, and she said, she said listen, this is my friend Sydney, and she can sing. <laughs> Figure out how to use her. <laughs> and it was like, I just love, uh, sometimes I feel like a, fin uh, a financial advisor, a financial planner which is that God brings all these great gifts and talents and treasures into our community, and part of my job is to, to help them invest in the kingdom of God. And so Sydney was just so quick to jump in and said, I'll, I'll invest my talents and gifts and resources for the kingdom of God through Sedaris. And, uh, you know, her work and her effort and her sacrifice has multiplied God's glory in this city, uh, the praise of the name of Jesus in the city. And so we just want to say thank you. Let's do another round of applause for Sydney because I just... Uh, we love this sister in Christ, and we're so proud of her, and we know she'll continue to use her gifts uh, because she knows what happens when she does. So keep doing that, Sydney. Yeah. But it is sad. It's always sad to, to, to make any transition. We're also transitioning uh, out of our series in Peter. So over the last eight months, we've, we've gone through 1 Peter, which is the first letter that the Apostle Peter, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the 12 that walked with Jesus... He wrote a, a, a first letter to a group of churches, and then he wrote a second letter. So we've gone through the first church and uh, first letter, and then we've gone through the second letter now. And this is sort of a final sermon in this series. And you know, this is sad for me to say goodbye to Peter as well, because um, uh, as a, a preacher, you never know if you'll come back to get to preach and teach through a book of the Bible. So. Uh, we did all of Peter at once, and, and to be honest, I don't know if I'll ever get to teach verse by verse like we just did through the letters of Peter. And so it's, it's a bit bittersweet. Um, you know, the second reason that I'm sad is because I relate a lot to Peter. I, I feel like me and Peter have a lot in common. He was a fisherman turned preacher. I was a CPA turned preacher. 
Um, so I have no natural talent in this <laughs> job that God's called me to, uh, but God has hopefully gifted me the ability, just like uh, he did to Peter, to preach the gospel. Uh, I also relate to Peter a lot because he's very argumentative, and so he needs God's grace again and again poured on him, and so do I. Um, I also uh, understand that uh, Peter was totally unqualified for the things that God asked him to do, and I feel the same way, totally unqualified for the task that Jesus has given to me. And so I think for all these reasons, I'm sad to say goodbye to Peter. Um, Maybe it's why we decided to extend Peter. Um, But I think in this season of a global pandemic, Peter has provided for us, Jesus called him the rock. He's provided for us some stability to understand how to persevere through the trials of this world. That's, That's what Peter liked to talk about. Peter led the early church through very challenging times. And so he has blessed us greatly. Um, so it's a sad day, but it's a happy day. We made it through Peter. Who, who, nobody knew. Nobody knew at the beginning of the pandemic. Would we make it through the books of Peter? So today's question is this, though. We do have a question for today. Today's question is this. Do you want to live an average life? So ask yourself that question. Do you want to live an average life? Um, over the last couple weeks, I've watched... Actually, more than I normally do, but, but snippets from both the uh, Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention. I've watched uh, speeches and clips uh, quite, a, quite a bit, actually, just to try to ground myself as we come into this very, what's going to be, obviously, you can feel it, a very tense uh, season for our country, just wanting to hear from everyone as the people of God. I would just encourage you that your allegiances be to Jesus first and then to your political party second. And so it's good to hear what everyone's saying, what everyone's talking about, because you can understand what moves the hearts of people when you listen to politicians talk. Now, one of the interesting things, though, in each of these conventions, and this is very normal, is that they always ask average Americans, right, to come and share and and to give speeches and tell their stories. And I just want to, I don't know if you watched any of the conventions, but just to think about just these average Americans telling their stories. Now, imagine if 2,000 years from today... 2,000 years from the 2020 conventions, millions of people, including several dozen in a parking lot in the northwest corner of of, uh, the continent that we call North America, were gathered together to study the transcript of some of those speeches that happened in the RNC or the DNC national conventions in 2020. Imagine that, 2,000 years from now, somebody like us was sitting here talking about uh, what, what Joe or Jane said. Can you imagine that? What some blue-collar, average American said 2,000 years ago. And we're looking at every word, and we're dissecting every word, and we're, we're what is it in this for me? Can you just imagine that? And in fact, you would probably conclude that that's not such an average, average American. You might even wonder if, if perhaps that there was some divine intervention that had led to this phenomenon of studying an average American speech from 2,000 years ago. Well, I hope it's clear now. That's exactly what's happening with this Peter character. 
He was just a fisherman. And we've been studying him for the last eight months, asking him, God, what are you saying to, to us through Peter? Peter couldn't have been more average. He couldn't have been more blue-collar. He was a seafood harvester. And he lived in a flyover state, in a small town, and nobody thought anything good came from that town. I was reminded just of the irony of this uh, because last week I was, got to do a little family vacation and we, drove, we were down in Oregon and we drove up the coast, um, up 101 as we crossed from Oregon into Washington. And I'd never driven this way before and, and if you go far enough up the coast from, from Oregon and you don't cut across, you'll come through a small little town called South Bend, Washington. Never even heard of it, never even been there, but guess what? It's the oyster capital of the world. Can I get a holler if anybody knows about South Bend? Nobody knows about South Bend. Nobody knew about where Peter was from either. And we stopped in this little town, and it was, it was a pretty fun experience because there's, there's just like um, a, a small little uh, Mexican food restaurant and then a coffee shop that had some sandwiches. Grayson, my son, got a quesadilla from Betsy's, great spot, check it out when you're there, and then we went to the coffee shop, and in the coffee shop, they're playing Christian music, and, and one of my sister-in-laws was with us, and she is very bold, a lot like Peter, and she just said, is this Christian music? <laughs> Are you a Christian? <laughs> she said to the, uh, to the barista, and it was the owner of the shop, and she said, well, actually, I am, and we, end, we stayed there for like two and a half hours and, and talked to this uh, sister in Christ, and she, ends, she has like seven, she has seven kids, and uh, one of her kids, Solomon, was working in the coffee shop with her. And, you know, it's just like, if you're old enough to remember this, it was like a scene out of Dawson's Creek. And it was just very, um, in one way, idyllic, but reminded me of what it might be like in the town where Peter's from, a, a seafood harvesting town. And then, and then some of her older boys walked in. They must have been in high school. And they walked in, and they were wearing the full sort of fisherman's gear, um, and they walked in, and I'm just like, that's probably what Peter was like when Jesus found him and called him to mission. Peter couldn't have been more average, more blue-collar, a seafood harvester from a small town. He's a man who spoke a few words to some audiences that were 10,000 times smaller than the speeches heard at the conventions in the last two weeks. He's a man who wrote a few letters to some small house church communities in what is modern-day Turkey. He is a man who, by all measures, lived an unremarkable life. He had no wealth. He had no fame outside of these small, tiny house communities. He had no political power, no political title. He had no organization that he started that bears his name. He had no children or offspring that we know of. He had no family legacy. And yet 2,000 years later, we're talking about him in a far distant land. It's truly incredible. This is so different than any of the other major religions of the world. The authors of the Vedas of, of Hinduism, uh, Muhammad and the Quran, the, the founder of Buddhism, Siddhartha Gautaman, Confucius in China... All of these people came from either royal, political, 
or the priestly class in the society. Peter's just a fisherman, just a seafood harvester. And yet we study this Galilean fisherman. How crazy is it? <laughs> and when you figure out something crazy, you gotta, you got to wrestle with it. And you got to consider what's going on. Because Peter's not your average fisherman. He's not. And so I want to ask that question today. What made Peter not so average? If we study his life, the only thing that you'll find that could possibly answer that question is his encounters and his time with another man named Jesus. In fact, there's no indication that Peter ever tried to be not so average, that, that it was his life's goal to be different, his life's goal to be unique, to be a trendsetter, to be one of a kind, to go out on his own, to be a rebel, to be a revolutionary. There's no sense in any of the information that we have about Peter that he was trying to become not so average. It seems to me that he was very happy with his average fisherman life. And it seems more that he stumbled into this otherworldly, world-changing, eternity-transforming life. And I'd, li I'd like to just, just say real quick, that's the same for you or I. It's not about trying to be not average. It just happens to you when your life crosses paths with a man named Jesus. So let me, I'm going to walk through five different stories from Peter's life and his encounters with Jesus, and I, and I want to hopefully draw out of those some principles that will explain to you why Peter became not so average. You ready? Let me tell you about the time that Peter first met Jesus. Peter first met Jesus when he was fishing with his brother Andrew. They were disappointed. They were struggling to catch uh, fish, which would mean they were struggling to get a paycheck. They were struggling to get by. They were struggling to find um, the thing that they needed to, to take care of the ones that they loved. And, and out of the blue, Jesus showed up on the shore. And Jesus initiated conversation with them. And then Jesus did something interesting. He chose them. He says, I'm choosing you. Follow me. And then Jesus tells them, you've been a fisher of fish. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And from that day on, Peter and Andrew, they began to follow Jesus. Now there's a first and a second principle from this first encounter that I, I want to just highlight. The first is this. Peter, um, he never forgot over the course of his whole life that Jesus chose him. And you too will be not so average when you accept the fact that Jesus chose you. It's not because of your intellect. It's not because of your heritage. It's not because of your social status, your economic class, your ethnic, linguistic, or cultural markers. It's certainly not because Jesus needs anything from you. 
He simply wanted you and he chose you. And when you accept that, you will live a not-so-average life. It's a game-changing realization. He didn't choose you because you're special. You're special because he chose you. If you can just flip that in your mind, it will unlock for you a kind of confidence, a kind of freedom, a kind of risk-taking that will lead you to a kind of life that you never, never, ever imagined. You didn't, he didn't choose you because you're special. You're special because Jesus chose you. The second principle from this first encounter um, goes like this. Jesus says to Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. Now it's important to say men and women. Peter's whole life, he had defined success based upon the parameters of what it meant to be a successful fisherman in the Galilean region of the nation of Israel. That's the only way he'd ever been able to conceive of a scorecard for life. And then he met Jesus. And if you too will, uh, if, if, if you want to live a not so average life, it will begin when you allow Jesus to redefine success in your life. When you let him redefine what success is, it will change everything. Happened in my life, coming out of the CPA world. He redefined success in my life. And I, I got friends who are about to make partner at the firm that I left. And I'm hanging out in a gravel, dusty parking lot talking about Peter, a fisherman from blue-collar nowhere. And I feel like I've got the greatest job in the world. Now, I just, I just want to be really clear here because... I'm not saying that you have to leave your current career or your profession in order for Jesus to redefine success, okay? That's really important because whenever I tell my story, I, I always highlight this, that I don't think every CPA that encounters Jesus should leave public accounting. Otherwise, our world would be a wreck. <laughs> um, CEOs would be getting away with fraud all the time, more than they already do, and we don't, we don't want that. So... He may call you out of your profession, or he might redefine what success means in the current profession that you're in. That's much more likely than, than saying, you were a fisherman, now you're going to be a fisherman. But he will redefine success in your life. Now, the next story I want, I want to tell you about is the time when Peter walked on water. Now, you may or may not know this, but that is a very above-average thing for a fisherman to do. Most fishermen can't walk on water. But we have an account for us where this particular fisherman walks on water. So I'm actually going to read that to you. If you're watching online, we're going to have that on the screen for you as well. If you're just here uh, in the parking lot, uh, just listen closely. I just want to read you this story because it's a beautiful story. So this is right after Jesus feeds 5,000 people on a countryside. He's tired, as you might imagine. The disciples are tired, and it says this. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, Immediately, when he made, uh, he made the, his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side of the lake. That's the Sea of Galilee, where they would do their fishing normally. While he, that's Jesus, dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went after 
upon a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he, that's Jesus, came to them, the disciples who were on the boat, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw he was walking on the sea, they were terrified because they're smart. That's terrifying. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And and this is where it gets really great. And Peter, this not-so-average fisherman, he answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. (laughs) Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I wish I could just preach a whole sermon on this, but... I'm doing a bit of an overview of of Peter's life. Let me just pull out a third and a fourth principle out of this story. I want you to uh, just see this. Peter was not so average. Now, what's the average thing to do if you step off of a boat into the water? You sink. That's very average. (laughs) Very average. Uh, The not-so-average thing is when you step off of a boat for you to not sink. And Peter was not so average in those first few steps. And why was it? Because he was focusing his eyes on Jesus. Then what did he do? What changed for him? He turned his gaze from Jesus to the storm, to the wind, to the trouble, to the danger. And immediately he became very average once again. And of course, Jesus, in his great mercy and grace, saves him. Now, here's the principle. You too can live a not-so-average life when you spend more time looking at Jesus than looking at the trouble, the danger, the storm, the virus, the injustice. When you spend more time looking at Jesus than those things, it will allow you to keep moving forward. If you feel like you're stuck right now, it's probably because you're looking at at everything else, and you're not looking at Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that, that you don't acknowledge there's a storm. Following Jesus doesn't mean there's no storm. The wind would have been there regardless. The difference that lets you lead a not-so-average life is that you see Jesus. You choose to focus on him in the midst of the wind. The fourth principle from this same story is this. Did you notice, I mean, is this story kind of funny to you? Um, Peter Peter is this great, complex character because he stands up as soon as they recognize Jesus' voice and they say, he says, Jesus, tell me to come to you. Do you know how brave that is? How optimistic that is? 
Do you know how full of faith somebody has to be to say, Jesus, Jesus, pick me. Tell me to come and walk on water. I mean, it's incredibly brave. He has incredible faith. And yet, it's this same Peter who Jesus rebukes for his lack of faith. What about these other disciples in the boat? Why are we talking about them? You don't hear them chiming up. Me too, Jesus. Even after Peter starts walking on water, none of them are like, I want to come too. Now, this is the principle. Listen. Peter had great faith, yet it was incomplete. But Peter doesn't go back to the boat and say, uh, Jesus, can we just acknowledge the fact that I'm the only one that got out of the boat and trusted you enough to even start walking on the water? He doesn't do that. Peter doesn't complain that there's a double standard for the other disciples. He simply joins the other disciple and praises Jesus as the Son of God. And if you decide, like Peter, not to hold yourself to the standard of someone else, but to hold yourself to the standard that Jesus gives you based on the tasks he gives you, based on the commands he gives you in your life, and you're faithful to those, even when you realize that you have incomplete faith and you need more faith in order to accomplish those things, you will live a not-so-average life. When you accept that Jesus calls everyone to different risks that require different levels of faith, and that he gives everyone the faith they need to fulfill the task he gives. When you acknowledge that and accept that and stop comparing yourself to others, and you just hold yourself accountable to the things Jesus has asked you to do, you will live a not-so-average life. Is that making sense? I don't know if there's, there's maybe nothing more profound than that. I can't look at myself as a pastor and say, you know what, compared to that pastor over there, I think I'm doing a pretty good job. Jesus doesn't hold me to the standard of somebody else. He has given me certain gifts and amount of faith to do the things he's called me to. And of course people aren't going to understand that. Of course my friends, my family, others aren't going to understand what Jesus has called me to. And I love that Peter doesn't complain, but I had way more faith than these other guys. He just says, God, Jesus, give me more faith. I want to be able to walk on water the whole way. I hope you live your life like that too. Okay. If you listen to his voice and you start taking steps of faith, even before you're sure that it will work, and if you never, <laughs> you're going to live a, a, a not so average life. And let me just say this if you've never sunk, if you never got wet, if you're looking at yourself now and say, I'm pretty clean, I'm pretty dry. I've never fallen short. Here's a very easy conclusion for me. You've never taken a step of faith. Everyone who takes steps of faith will get wet at some point because we always are growing in our need for more faith, okay? So don't play it safe. Get wet. It's okay to get wet. Next story. Jesus calls Peter the rock in Matthew 16. So just two chapters after this that we just read, um, you may or may not have heard this story, but, but, but Jesus asks, well, you know, who do you guys say I am after everything you've seen that I do? And Peter says in this great moment, he steps forward again, he takes initiative, he says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And, and Jesus says, you've got it, Peter. And he says, you are going to be the rock that I build my church upon, that I build my community upon. 
And this, this word in the Greek, rock, and Peter, they're very similar, so it's a play on words. And if you had read the Sermon on the Mount just a few chapters before in the Gospel of Matthew, you'd have heard a story, maybe you've heard this, about Jesus tells a parable. He says, if you build your life upon my words and upon my commands and you obey me, you will be like the wise man who builds his house upon a rock and not like the man who builds his house upon the sand. Do you remember this story? Now, I think Jesus is trying to connect these ideas together. But you're asking yourself, is this circular reasoning? Peter finally gets who Jesus is and fully trusts him and follows him and obeys him. And so Peter is like the wise man who builds his house on a rock. But then Jesus says, Peter's the one who I'm going to build my house on, the church, because he's the rock. And you say, well, who's the rock first? The man who builds his life on Jesus or Peter, who's the rock that Jesus built his house on? And I think Jesus actually wants us to understand that these ideas circle around each other and the two become one. That actually the reason that Peter is a rock is exactly because he's the wise man who's built his life upon Jesus. Because Jesus is the rock. But then again, Peter becomes a rock because he's built his life on Jesus. You see how this works? It's like Peter is getting lost in the person of Jesus. So here's the principle. You too will live a not-so-average life when you let Jesus gift you his attributes and his power. When your life gets lost in his, in circular reasoning, and you no longer can tell the difference between you and him, that is when you have Jesus' power, Jesus' divine attributes, Peter's already said this in the beginning of 2 Peter. You can go back and listen to that sermon. If you choose to build your life on Jesus, then you actually become the things of Jesus in the world, and you'll live a not-so-average life. Now, the next story is actually after Jesus has gone to the cross, died on the cross, is buried in the grave, On the third day, he rises from the dead, and he begins to appear in bodily flesh to the disciples. And the third time that he appears to them, it's, guess what, right after another fishing trip. So the disciples had gone back up to the Sea of Galilee in, in the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, before his ascension, and uh, that's sort of strange in itself. They must have just loved really to fish. They were probably out of money at this point and um, needed to make some money. And so they're up there fishing again, and, and they like to fish at night because the, the fishing nets were made out of linen so the fish could see it. So often these fishermen were fishing through the middle of the night so the fish couldn't see the nets. And so it's morning time, and they're looking out on the shore, and they see a figure there standing, probably waving. And uh, the closer they get, they realize, oh, my goodness, it's Jesus. Another appearance of the post-resurrection Jesus. You've got to go read this story. It's in John chapter 21. This is classic Peter. He doesn't wait till the boat gets to shore. He jumps out of the boat. He throws off his garments. He jumps out of the boat and he begins to swim. And it's just a beautiful image of him swimming and the boat's probably passing him because <laughs> boats go faster than people. And, you know, but he's so excited to see Jesus and he, and he sees there and Jesus has actually already made them breakfast. He's cooked them some fish. And it's here in this moment 
And I'll just read to you what happens next. They're sitting there eating breakfast. And um, verse 15, chapter 21, says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, that's Peter's birth name, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Two observations here. As Jesus is telling him to feed his sheep, what is Jesus doing? What is he doing? Somebody just hollered out. He's feeding his own sheep, his own disciples. I I love that because Jesus never asks us to do anything that he didn't do himself. And the second observation is this, that Peter truly does adore Jesus. He loves him. I mean, he's grieved that he has to tell Jesus three times. Now, if you know the story of Peter, he denied Jesus three times when Jesus was arrested before his crucifixion. And so Peter's or Jesus is reminding him that he denied him three times, and he must affirm him three times. But Peter truly loves. Why else do you jump out of a boat and act all irrational? Peter adored Jesus. He loved him. He truly did. And you, too, will live a not-so-average life if you truly adore Jesus and therefore do everything he asks you to do. Peter adored Jesus, and so he asked him, feed my sheep. And Peter fed his sheep. And Peter built the church in Jerusalem. And then Peter built that church to a place, and then he left, and he, and he started more churches. And Peter gave his whole life, and Peter ended up uh, being crucified, just like Jesus, for doing the work of Jesus that Jesus told him to do. But as tradition tells us, Peter said, I'm nothing like Jesus, so hang me upside down. And he's crucified upside down on a cross. If you love and adore Jesus and therefore do what he asks, you will live a not-so-average life. And the final story happens after Jesus' death, after his resurrection and the great breakfast on the shore, after Jesus then, 40 days after his resurrection, ascends into heaven we, we teach a little series on the ascension. You can look back online at that. It's such an important part because Jesus says, I must go to heaven and sit at the right hand of my Father in heaven, and I will send you the Spirit so that you can do my work and multiply my work and take my message and my power and, and the rockness that I am to the ends of the earth so that people sitting in a parking lot in 2020 can hear of the good news of Jesus and what he's done and how he saved us and he's given his life for us, and then he's resurrected, and he gives us new life. I've got to go so that that message can spread. And so after that happens, and Jesus ascends, and the disciples are left there, 
And, and Peter helps to build the church with the other disciples. And he fulfills all the tasks that Jesus has given him. And good news is spreading. And this countercultural community, the community and the kingdom of Jesus is beginning to grow. Well, guess what? Even then, we realize Peter is still growing. The community's growing. People are being saved. The sick are being healed. The oppressed are being uh, cared for and brought in to the community. But Peter, like us, is an imperfect leader. And so, in Acts chapter 10, Jesus shows up again to Peter in a dream. Because Peter was keeping the Gentiles, the non-Jewish peoples of the community, away from the community. And Jesus says, I came to die for all people. Not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. This church is not looking like the kingdom of heaven. And so, Peter, I need to rebuke you again. And I need to open your eyes because what you've said is unclean is definitely clean because of my blood. And Peter has this dream, and God brings Peter into the home of a Roman centurion soldier with a bunch of Romans. And they eat food together. And you too will live a not so average life if you allow Jesus to correct you. Peter had to learn this lesson over and over again. It's not about being right. It's about allowing Jesus to correct you and to continue to teach you. And so when you hear his correcting voice in your life, maybe, it, maybe it's a dream, maybe it's through reading his word, and you allow him to correct you, you will live a not-so-average life. So let me ask you the question that I asked at the beginning. 